Hi, Dave Emery here. This is For the Record Program number 1227, Microcosm Part 2. This is being recorded on February 16th of the year 2022. Before getting into the main body of the program, as always, three links. One of those links, these are at the top of each written for the record description, and at the top of each Food for Thought post. One link will enable you to subscribe to the comments, most of whom, or most of which, are made by our brilliant contributing editor, Tara Fractal, that's spelled capital P-T-E-R-R-A-F-R-A-C-T-Y-L, and uh, the second link will enable you to subscribe to the podcasts that are being made of For the Record by Sister Station WFMU. So if podcasting is the best way for you to consume the program, Sister Station WFMU is podcasting the program. And the third of those links will enable you to get the 32 gigabyte flash drive that is being, uh, has been put together of, uh, for all intents and purposes, all of my roughly 43 years of life's work. That includes not only uh, broadcasts through, for the record, 1215, but everything I've written, all of the comments, and a mini-library of old anti-fascist books on easy-to-download PDF files. I get no money whatsoever from that flash drive. It is available for a very nominal Tax deductible fee if you itemize your deductions. And again, as I have said in the past, I think <laughs> we are doomed. I'm going to talk about um, what I believe is literally the end. Uh, and we are speeding very quickly too, toward that. And uh, that, however, will be in upcoming programs. However, if you get the flash drive at the very least, you will make yourself a repository of the information that I have generated over the decades. And uh, that way you can pass that along to others or perhaps, uh, and or perhaps to your successors and that you can explain to them why things are so terrible. Didn't always used to be this way, but people did not listen to the warnings and uh, now things have taken place as uh, some people had been forecasting. Uh, reminds me of the, uh, as a baby boomer growing up, one of the songs in my youth was The Sounds of Silence, which was the first big hit by Simon and Garfunkel. I did not know until just a few years ago, but that song was written by Paul Simon in the aftermath of and about the aftermath of the assassination of President Kennedy, which is the uh, incident or event that led me into my life's work. But uh, the sounds of silence are being complemented by uh, a really shocking degree of warmongering coming out of the Biden administration. Perhaps I'll do a fireside rant about uh, Bill Biden's warmongering, which, uh, frankly, I suspect is part of his attempt at uh, 
political defenestration. Russia is not going to invade Ukraine, although if there is a, an attempt by the Ukrainian armed forces to crush the Russian, ethnically Russian republics that have been in a state of civil war since the Maidan coup, or uh, if they attempt to use military force to uh, reoccupy Crimea, then there will be war. I strongly suspect that uh, Biden is setting up a straw man to be uh, knocked down at uh, will. It it reminds me of uh, you know, the, the, the many variations of a joke about the guy waving a yellow pennant furiously back and forth, and the guy says, well, why are you waving that yellow flag back and forth? I'm keeping the rhinoceroses away. I says, there are no rhinoceroses around here. You see, it works. I think uh, Biden is operating in an analogous fashion, and if Putin does not invade Ukraine, uh, then he can say, aha, you know, people, his his supporters will say, you see, Joe Biden is a tough guy. He's a real leader. He stood up to Vladimir Putin, the bad guy. Never mind the fact that he can't pronounce polysyllables because he's so brain damaged, which he is. You listen to him speak. He cannot produce, cannot pronounce polysyllables. He has to slur them. Uh, but, you know, uh, Really, we have reached a sorry state of affairs. And uh, when Donald Trump, who actually stood up at a press conference and uh, intoned that if someone got infected with COVID, they should just drink a little disinfectant. And the eight-year-old knows better than that. Now we've got Joe Biden who can't pronounce polysyllables because of his brain damage, and uh, his, quote, leadership, unquote, I think is, uh, his diminished image is leading him to, uh, frankly, risk nuclear war in order to boost his ratings. I don't think that is actually going to happen, but who knows? It is a dangerous game he's playing. And I will also note that one of the cards in the European slash Ukrainian power game is the supply of natural gas that Russia has been supplying to Western Europe. Uh, Ukraine itself has very large, although as yet not exploited, natural gas reserves. I would note that uh, Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, sits on the board of Burisma, the Ukrainian natural gas uh, firm. So uh, Biden quite literally has skin in this game, in the uh, Ukrainian-slash-Russian-slash-European natural gas game. I uh, am not happy about what is going on. I'm not happy about uh, the warmongering vis-a-vis China as well and the grotesque media coverage almost lost in the American media is the fact that a, a U.S. Olympian skier named, I believe his name is Blunk, B-L-U-N-C-K. I'm operating from memory, so uh, I'll put a, a question mark by that. But he 
took he took issue with U.S. media coverage of the Olympics and said that actually the Chinese were not only doing a very good job, but uh, he, along with several other Olympic athletes from the U.S. delegation, uh, expressed very admiring and warm feelings about what took place there. Uh, immediately after that, his Twitter account was suspended. And we're told that's the kind of thing that happens in China. Well, apparently uh, not just in China. But what is going on, the, the fevered xenophobia, nationalism, and warmongering vis-a-vis China and Russia is really sickening. It makes me want to puke. So uh, I am instead uh, going to uh, discuss on uh, the airwaves and uh, into the uh, recording computer what uh, my thoughts are. I have been, uh, I began the reading of and will continue with the reading of an essay about an individual, a Cold War liberal named Luis, L-U-I-S Kuttner, K-U-T-N-E-R, although listed improperly in his New York Times obituary, as the co-founder of Amnesty International, he was not. He did, however, sit on the uh, board of the American chapter of Amnesty International and was apparently quite heavily networked with Peter Benenson, the founder of Amnesty International. Uh, Luis Kuttner was a classic Cold War liberal, and the many bases he touched uh, in his role as a, quote, Cold War liberal, and uh, boy, does that term belong in quotes, as we will see, I think makes him in many ways a microcosm. In fact, if Joe Biden is a, quote, progressive, unquote, then uh, Louise Kuttner is a, quote, progressive, and Louise Kuttner wasn't all that damn progressive. In addition to fronting for people like the Dalai Lama, who is the antithesis of the spiritual icon he has maintained, uh, he is uh, represented as being. Uh, in fact, he has very strong links to the occult SS. His tutor, Heinrich Herr, was an SS officer and actually an NCO. Uh, the aforementioned Luis Kuttner uh, touched on many bases. He helped to get Ezra Pound, the fascist propagandist uh, poet, out of uh, the uh, mental hospital in which he was uh, a interned. He networked with the Chicago mob. He networked, as we will review, with Jack Ruby. He was involved at uh, with apparent attempts at the... Uh, recruiting mob members to kill Fidel Castro. That not only put him in uh, league with elements of CIA, but that entire nexus is linked to the assassination of JFK. He also was networked with the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, with the Information Council of the Americas that we looked at in connection with Ed Haslam. He fronted for Moshe Chambe. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, impelled me to access his CV was the fact that he was involved with early attempts at uh, disposing of Chiang Kai-shek. As I mentioned, uh, one of the characteristics of the American empire is that when 
a given anointed killer, either an ally or an actual uh, uh, appointee of the national security state, uh, such as Saddam Hussein, was elevated to power by a CIA-assisted coup when they had done their job, basically killed people, and when they were getting a little bit embarrassing from a PR standpoint or a little bit long in the tooth, they are eased out. And I've wondered about how... Uh, Taiwan, which was under martial law with Chiang Kai-shek till the mid-80s, became the, quote, independent self-governing democracy that it is now. I suspected that basically that was the outcome of uh, a CIA action to uh, install a friendly anti-communist social democratic government instead of the uh, grotesque narco-fascism of Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, that appears to be the case, and Louise Kuttner appears to have been an early participant in that. Uh, we have been reading from a very important essay. Uh, it is called Louise Kuttner, The Declassified Life of a Human Rights Icon by David Giglio, G-I-G-L-I-O. I may be mispronouncing the gentleman's name. It is from the Our Hidden History Org blog of April 28th of 2019. And after discussing uh, the role of uh, Louis Kuttner in networking with elements of the Chicago mob, including, quote, Sparky Rubenstein, more about that, also known, better known as Jack Ruby. We'll talk about that uh, a little bit later. Uh, Louis Kuttner was also involved with the by now quite well-known attempts at recruiting mafiosi to assassinate Fidel Castro. We're going to resume with a section of this essay called CIA, the Mafia, and the Plots to Kill Castro, overlapping this with material that we read into the record last week. Kuttner, that's Louise Kuttner, first became involved in international intrigues in 1960 when he acted as an emissary for two major mafia figures to the FBI. Kuttner carried an offer to eliminate Cuban leader Fidel Castro to the FBI. The two mob bosses were Norman Rothman and Sam Manorino, M-A-N-A-R-I-N-O. Manorino ran the rackets in Pittsburgh and Rothman had run mafia casinos in Batista's Cuba. Kuttner was Rothman's attorney while the two gangsters were out on bond, awaiting sentencing for a recent federal conviction. A jury had found them guilty on two important counts, a 1958 theft of weapons from an Ohio National Guard armory and neutrality act violations for attempting to get the stolen weapons to Cuba. An FBI memo described the events of May 9, 1960. Seeking a lighter sentence for his client, Kuttner walked into the office of the assistant U.S. attorney and advised officials there of the following. Rothman has been a close personal friend of Florencio Batista and is one of the few persons trusted by Batista. Parenthetically, for younger listeners, Florencio Batista was the dictator of Cuba who eventually was overthrown by Fidel Castro. Continuing. Actually, let me overlap that with uh, uh, what we just read. Rothman has been a close personal friend of Valencia Batista and is one of the few persons trusted by Batista. In fact, he, Rothman, during the time Batista was in power, was in charge of all gambling in Cuba. 
Having known Batista as well as he claims, and being aware of his current activities and also revolutionary activities, he is in a position to know what may happen in Cuba in the future. As a matter of fact, he claims to be able to, quote, deliver Castro to the United States cause or cause Castro to be wiped out, unquote. Walkman likewise claims an acquaintance with Castro. That is an FBI, the basic communication from Cutner uh, to the FBI. The response of the FBI was to ask Cutner's cooperation, quote, to determine specifically what information Norman Rothman might have, which might be of interest to the Bureau or any other government agency. In 1975, when the Church Committee made the first official exposures of combined CIA mafia efforts to assassinate Fidel Castro, they pinpointed the first plotting as starting in August of 1960, just a few months following Rothman's offer. But while the Church Committee's story begins with the relationship with the actually one more time, well, but while the Church Committee's story begins with the relationship between the CIA, Howard Hughes, Attorney Robert Mayhew, and Las Vegas gangster Johnny Roselli, a 1975 New York News investigation starts somewhat earlier. It appears to fill in the intervening months and places Rothman at the center of the early plotting. Quote, Rothman was in touch with several CIA agents. A former agent said they had many meetings concerning assassination plots against Castro. Rothman, in turn, discussed the matter with his peers. Among those who took part in these parlays, reliable sources said, with Santo Traficante of Tampa and Sam Manorino of Pittsburgh. The mob and the CIA finally gave the contract to Johnny Roselli, reputed boss of Las Vegas, federal sources said. And Roselli agreed to recruit a death squad to hunt Castro. By the way, although it doesn't get mentioned here, uh, Johnny Roselli was scheduled to testify before the Church Committee, the aforementioned, above-mentioned Church Committee. He disappeared. Eventually, his dismembered body was found in a steel, a 55-gallon steel drum floating in Biscayne Bay. Continuing. From the timeline, it appears that the offer Cutner carried was accepted. It is worth noting that Jack Ruby's reported Cuban gun running also coincides with the same period as Rothman and Manorino's. Further, Ruby's friend Louis McLilly managed one of Rothman's Havana casinos. In, uh, for the record 1224, uh, we know, actually we came back to it briefly in for the record 1225, uh, Thomas Eli Davis, one of the Nazi-linked uh, covert operators, who uh, we discussed and who networked with Victor Oswald, among others, uh, also was uh, an associate, a gun-running associate of Jack Ruby. Continuing with this article, Rothman's attempts to intervene in international politics didn't end in 1960, and as we'll see, neither did FBI files implicate Rothman as a partner in a plan to overthrow the Guatemalan government in 1965. Weapons for the effort were provided by CIA agent and anti-Castro Cuban fighter Luis Posada Carriles. 
Posada would later become infamous for his role in the terror bombing of Kibana Airlines Flight 455, which killed all 73 people on board. By the way, Posada Carriles was also involved in the Iran-Contra affair as well. Continuing. Through 1961, Kuttner continued his role as an FBI criminal informant, but was dropped by the FBI for providing dubious information on the Mafia's pilferage along the New York waterfront. The FBI determined that Kuttner's information was substantiated, quote, only by Kuttner's own opinion and belief, unquote. Sometime in the early 1960s, Kuttner became Guatemala's Consul General for the City of Chicago. Why Guatemala would give him this armor is unclear, but the country did play an important role in the war against Cuba. Since before the Bay of Pigs operation, it was a key base for CIA, Mafia, and Cuban exile attacks on Cuba. Additionally, a 1966 FBI memo indicated that Chicago mobster Sam Giancana had a home in Guatemala. While acting as a consular official for the Guatemalan military government in the United States, Kuttner would have been able to provide important services for travelers between the countries. Whether Kuttner continued his mediation between his mafia clients and the CIA during the period is unknown, but by 1963, Kuttner felt self-assured enough to approach the Central Intelligence Agency for clandestine funding. In 1963, Kuttner embarked on a publishing venture, a newspaper called the Yugoslav Herald. This paper would be aimed at the Midwest's large southern Slav population. A memo between the CIA and a liaison with the FBI notes a remarkable fact. Kuttner had requested CIA financial support for the paper. In return, Kuttner offered the CIA a hand in choosing the newspaper's managing editor. That paper did not go very far. It is worth noting here that uh, in, in attempting to uh, network with CIA and uh, extreme right-wing and fascist uh, Eastern Europeans, this places Kuttner in parallel to the Republicans, uh, Republican Party's uh, Ethnic Heritage Outreach Council, and uh, that in turn overlapped the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, among other things. That is one of the uh, fascist and Nazi elements that uh, is in effective control of the national security establishment in Ukraine. By the way, the former head of Pravi Sector, Dmitry Garrosh, is a special advisor to the chief of staff of the Ukrainian Armed Forces. Keep that in mind as you watch uh, Biden rattle the uh, nuclear saber. Continuing with our story of the microcosmic uh, Louis Kuttner, uh, after speaking about the CIA, or attempts at recruiting CIA funding for the Yugoslav Herald, uh, the article notes, it was just a few months prior that Kuttner had become publicly involved with a group called the Anti-Bolshevik Bloc of Nations, or ABN. The ABN was created during the Second World War by ultra-nationalist Ukrainians who had collaborated with the Nazis. There was a substantial crossover between the group which had started the ABN and groups that had committed war crimes and participated in the Nazis' genocidal military campaign inside the USSR. 
The ABN became associated with U.S. intelligence in 1945 when General Reinhard Galen delivered the Nazis' Eastern Front intelligence apparatus to the U.S. Army. Kuttner had met with the ABN's president, Yaroslav Stetsko, in March of 1963. That summer, he was a prominent speaker at one of the ABN's Captive Nations Week events, of course, in uh, the summer of 1963. The ABN was part of the gathering storm of assassination against John F. Kennedy. We've covered that in many programs. Uh, we came back to that, by the way, in For the Record 1224. Continuing. Likely, the ABM leadership felt that Kuttner provided them with a liberal cover of a, quote, Nobel Prize nominee, unquote, and the ability to deflect charges of anti-Semitism. Kuttner seemed to move with ease between groups founded by Nazi-aligned war criminals to groups that were dedicated in part to the extradition of Nazi war criminals. And then skipping down, more about Kuttner's networking with Jack Ruby. This is called Old Associates, Jack Ruby and Louise Kuttner. I put Jack Ruby murdered Lee Harvey Oswald in the presence of over 70 Dallas police officers. The U.S. press turned to Kuttner for information on his old associate. Kuttner's statements appeared in several newspaper articles. For the most part, his statements centered around his interactions with Ruby and the Kefauver Commission, as discussed above, but he also filled in some blanks on Ruby's ties with the Chicago mob. This included, according to Kuttner, links to the lieutenants of Teamsters President Jimmy Hoffa. All of Kuttner's information will be largely ignored by the Warren Commission, who told the country without irony that Jack Ruby was just a second, quote, lone nut, unquote. Kuttner's picture of Ruby would come much closer to the revisions that the House Select Committee on Assassinations made to the historical record in the late 1970s. As we have noted in many programs, uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations uh, was badly compromised in its investigation, and when Richard Sprague was uh, basically replaced as the head of uh, the House Select Committee on Assassinations, that signaled the uh, watering down will be a polite word. Continuing, in the 1978 interview, on the Canadian television show, Kuttner pointed to the conspiracy by giving his opinion that Ruby would not have killed Oswald without being pressed into it. Quote, I say it again, and I say this with, posit- with positive conviction that Jack Ruby or Sparky Rubenstein was totally incapable of that kind of an aggressive decision and doing it so openly and so deliberately. Question. You knew Jack Ruby. Why did he kill Oswald? I would say enormous pressure, had to be enormous pressure. But if he did this job, they would stand by him and get him out of this mess. Ha, <laughs> ha, no, they did not. That is a reasonable, considered, and informed conclusion. I could be in many schools of thought that he was not the man to do it on his own initiative. Authors Peter Dale Scott and William W. Turner have both touched on the fact that Cutman made an appearance at an Information Council of the Americas, or Inca, National Citizens' Congress event in 1969. Inca was a far-right anti-communist group who could count among its supporters Nicaraguan dictator Anastasio Somoza 
and Guatemalan general and one of the plotters of the 1954 coup, General Miguel Igoras Fuentes. Inca was founded by Ed Butler, the man who famously participated in a radio debate with Lee Harvey Oswald just months before the assassination in Dallas, by the way, that... Interview on WDSU can be heard in the Guns of November, Part 1, also in For the Record Program Number 814, among others. And again, uh, the heroic Ed Haslam in his book, Dr. Mary's Monkey, formerly, by the way, titled Mary Ferry and the Monkey Virus, has noted the role of the Information Council of the Americas in the assassination of JFK, its links to... Uh, people involved uh, with the research into the simian virus for the, or the monkey virus, as he called it. Again, that was uh, 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 a cancer-causing monkey virus that is uh, one of the important yet largely hidden aspects of the uh, JFK assassination landscape. It is not hidden anymore, thanks to the aforementioned efforts of Ed, ha Ed Haslam and uh, uh, talking about Dr. Oxner in New Orleans is one of the many contributions he touched on, uh, Oxner that is, touched on many bases. And uh, continuing with the account here of Louise Kuttner, these Far-right activists Bill Kuttner as a, quote, moderate, unquote, and put up to debate radical new left lawyer William Kunstler. Inca's national producer at that time was one Lee Edwards, a far-right promoter who Kuttner would work with closely within the coming years. And next talks about the work of Louise Kuttner on behalf of Moise Chombe, in our discussions with Vindy Jamio, the author of the uh, very important book, Destiny Betrayed, we spoke about Moshe Chombe, who was the leader of the breakaway Katanga province. Katanga was part of what was then the Belgian Congo. It was mineral rich, and uh, before Joseph Mobutu was installed, courtesy of the CIA and a mercenary army raised on his behalf, uh, the mineral rich Katanga province became a breakaway province under Moise Pombe. Uh, Moise Pombe was a prophylactic of the first order, and yet like some of the other uh, prophylactics of the first order, uh, was on the receiving end of the graces of Louise Kuttner, along with people like Jack Ruby, the Chicago mob, uh, Yaroslav Stetsko, and the anti-Bolshevik bloc of nations, the Informational Council of the Americas, uh, the Dalai Lama, Ezra Pound, and uh, the murderers row that we have delineated so far. Uh, continuing here, in 1967, saving the life of an African leader, Moise Chumbe, became a cause among America's far right, and Kuttner was at the center of the efforts. Here he would find himself in alliance with high-powered politicians like Senators Strom Thurmond and Thomas Dodd, as well as with conservative activists like Marvin Liebman and William F. Buckley. Chumbe came to international province prominence in 1960 during the Congo crisis, unquote. Almost immediately following the country's independence from Belgium, Chombe, backed by Belgian paratroopers and millions of dollars from Belgian mining companies, split the Katanga province from the rest of the country. The area was by far the most resource, 
reached in the country and was the home to the mining companies which were backing the succession. Within months, within six months, the Congo's independence leader Patrice Lumumba, a symbol of rising African nationalism, would be sent to Chambay's pseudo-statelet and murdered. By the way, that was immediately prior to the inauguration of JFK, and in our discussion with Jinbi Eugenio, uh, it, indicate, it is indicated that, in fact, the assassination of Lumumba was hastened by, among others, uh, the CIA and Alan Dulles, specifically to uh, preclude the possibility of uh, JFK lending his support to Patrice Lumumba. And next, uh, an attempt by Kuttner to uh, once again reposition the support of the CIA. It is not clear whether or not he succeeded. There is nothing on the record uh, that would indicate that it did. However, I would not uh, dismiss the possibility the CIA does not uh, conduct covert affairs in the open, obviously. And the next chapter here is called A Worldwide Human Rights Organization Funded by CIA. As mentioned above, Kuttner made another pass at agency sponsorship in the middle of the Chombe affair. He contacted two CIA officers about turning world habeas corpus into something considerably more, than a, more solid than the legal concept. The two officials were a domestic contact division officer named R.K. Oakley, O-A-K-L-E-Y, and CIA's general counsel, Lawrence Houston. The CIA was interested enough in Cutler that the CIA's top lawyer agreed to a lunch meeting. For some reason, before the lunch took place, Cutler called Oakley. According to CIA documents, Cutler asked the agency to fund his, quote, world habeas corpus centers, unquote, which he hoped with CIA backing could be established around the world. Cutler attempted to entice CIA with a proposal which celebrated the tough stamp on human rights in communist countries taken by a, quote, human rights, quote, conference held in the capital of one of the most repressive Cold War torture states, the U.S.-backed Shah's Iran. It is an irony surpassed only by perhaps the idea of a worldwide archipelago of CIA-backed human rights centers. The CIA saw the propaganda value in such an organization, but Oakley told Kuttner that the organization would probably harm the project more than help it. Domestic Compact Division Oakley did not absolutely rule out Compact because it appears Cutman might have something worthwhile if he will somehow eliminate his conspiratorial urge. Cutman, for his part, repeated that the CIA backing would be, quote, very helpful, unquote. There is no record of the CIA having backed that. However, uh, they do back uh, Cold War liberals of various stripes. By the way, a correction, something of a uh, non-secretary, although looking ahead to uh, coverage of the Peng Shui op, and I may be mispronouncing that woman's name. Uh, she is a Chinese tennis star who allegedly accused a top Chinese official, who also, by the way, was the China, face of uh, China's Winter Olympics of sexual assault. In fact, she didn't, but there are indications that uh, uh, the hashtag MeToo PSYOP, which in part it is, as we have looked at in For the Record uh, programs uh, 
998, 999, and 1,000, maybe 1,001. Not that entirely it's CIA, but certainly parts of it appear to be. the agency hasn't, uh, has backed Cold War liberals. Uh, an inco- a correction I want to make, uh, Gloria Steinem, who was one of those CIA-backed liberals, uh, did not participate in attempting to destabilize the Bandung Conference in 1955. She was too young. It was rather two socialist youth conferences in Helsinki, Finland, and Vienna, Austria, that the, as a matter of record, CIA operative Gloria Steinem was involved in destabilizing. It was not the Bandung Conference. She was too young. I fused a synapse on that. Now, uh, one of the involvements of Louise Kuttner with the intelligence community milieu involves uh, apparent early attempts at uh, easing Chiang Kai-shek out the door. And some of these were apparently nonviolent. Some of them were quite violent indeed. The next section of the paper, Human Rights, Terrorism, and Assassination. As Nixon planned to cement a relationship with the People's Republic of China, and the People's Republic of China moved closer to securing its seat at the United Nations, relations between the USA and its old allies in Taiwan began to strain. It was a relationship that appeared to have little to recommend it outside the shared U.S.-ROC opposition to revolutionary China. The CIA supported at least one coup plot against the country's leader, Chiang Kai-shek. The resentment of native Taiwanese was also growing. The island's pre-1949 inhabitants made up the vast majority of the population and had now been living under 20 years of martial law imposed by mainland exiles. A necessarily secret opposition to one-party Kuomintang rule developed governments on both sides of the Taiwan Strait suspected that the United States was encouraging such groups one more time. A necessarily secret opposition to one-party Kuomintang rule developed. Governments on both sides of the Taiwan Strait suspected that the United States was encouraging such groups. It may well have been true. Exchanging the elderly Chang and his small group of mainlanders for a new government with broad support appealed to many in and out of the U.S. government, just so long as the new government was staunchly anti-communist. On the island itself, the Taiwan Independence Movement became the central organization for native Taiwanese activism. The FBI described the group as, quote, dedicated to the overthrow of the present Chinese nationalist government on the island. A global movement for Taiwanese or Formosan independence also developed, especially in the U.S. The main grouping in the U.S. was known as United Formosans in America for Independence, or UFAI. By 1970, all of the Taiwanese independence groups around the world had formed an umbrella organization. That group called itself World United Formosans for Independence, or WUF. On April 24, 1970, a black limousine carrying the vice premier of Taiwan pulled up to New York City's luxurious Plaza Hotel. Chang Ching Kuo, the son of Kuomintang leader Chiang Kai-shek, had come to New York on the second stop of an official visit to the U.S. His visit 
to the city was especially contentious because New York had become the heart of the overseas Formosan student movement. In front of the hotel, the WUF demonstrated against the younger Chang's visit. As the vice premier exited his car in front of the motel, one of the demonstrators rushed towards him and fired a pistol. The assassin's shot missed, and he was quickly wrestled to the ground by New York City police and Chang's bodyguards. In the scuffle that ensued, another member of the group leaped into the scuffle, and both were arrested. An FBI report confirmed both men's membership in the WUF. The information came from a leader of the group, one Chang Lung Chu. A close correspondent with Kuttner, Chu had... A close correspondent of Kuttner, the aforementioned Chen Lung Chu, parenthetically, had gone into the FBI offices in New Haven, Connecticut, and identified both of the assassins as members of the WUF. He did so, though, in order to stress to the, to the FBI that the assassination attempt, quote, was in no way associated with the work of the organization, unquote. It seems that the group was enough associated with the assassination that their lawyer, Kuttner, would be called on to defend the attackers in court. Was this simply a case of Kuttner, a lawyer for an otherwise peaceful group, picking on the defense of two out-of-control members who had engaged in a terrorist act? Two declassified documents, one withheld from release for decades by the Defense Intelligence Agency, add considerably more to the story. A Defense Intelligence Agency specialist, Richard Henninghausen, received a letter filled with violent rhetoric from an acquaintance of his, one Eric Lynn. Reportedly, Lynn, in one of his numerous letters to the Chicago Tribune, identified himself in 1973 as the public information officer for the WUF. The admissions in the letter apparently spooked the DIA employees sufficiently that he went to his superiors to tell them what he knew, presumably to avoid getting implicated in any sort of crime himself. The FBI saw Wynn's letter as an apparent attempt to recruit Henninghausen to the WUF and the Taiwan independence movement. In his letter, Lin stated that he had stalked Chang Ching Kuo in Washington, D.C., alongside the assassins who later made their attempt in front of the Plaza Hotel. Lin then invited Henninghausen to Chicago, quote, to assist the Formosan group and that they might discuss the secret plans of the Formosan group, unquote. Included in the letter were Xerox copies of news releases from World United Formosans on which Kuttner's name and Chicago address were printed. A CIA memo from August of 1970 makes clear Kuttner's involvement in clandestine plans in support of Taiwanese independence. The memo contains a letter which describes how Kuttner approached one Robert Fleming. Fleming was the president of a company called the Mid-America International Development Association, or MIDA. It is important to note that the Chicago-based MIDA was undoubtedly associated with the Central Intelligence Agency. 
founded by Thomas, this, this, uh, uh, last few sentences again. A CIA memo from August of 1970 makes clear Kuttner's involvement in clandestine plans in support of Taiwanese independence. The memo contains a letter which describes how Kuttner approached one Robert Fleming. Fleming was the vice president of a company called the Mid-America International Development Association, or MIBA. It is important to note that the Chicago-based MIBA was undoubtedly associated with the Central Intelligence Agency. Founded by Thomas H. Minor, M-I-M-E-R, MIBA worked under USAID contracts in Africa. USAID is a government agency which has been well known for its utility as a CIA fund. Another of Miner's companies was listed in Philip Avery's explosive Inside the Company CIA Diary as having been used for CIA cover, and Miner himself was called the CIA's Chicago frontman in a fascinating 1979 article by Thomas J. Dolan of the Chicago Reader. This was the milieu to whom Kuttner approached with his remarkable offer, the overthrow of Taiwan's Kuomintang government. Again, by the way, if you thought I was the only person who used the word milieu uh, there. Uh, uh, again, this is important. I reread uh, the, the few sentences there. Let me one more time. It is important to note that Chicago-based MIBA was undoubtedly associated with the Central Intelligence Agency. Founded by Thomas H. Mimer, MIBA worked under USAID contracts in Africa. USAID is a government-funded agency which has been well-known for its utility as a CIA front. Another of Mimer's companies was listed in Philip Agee's explosive Inside the Company CIA diary as having been used for CIA cover, and Miner himself was called the CIA's Chicago frontman in a fascinating 1979 article by Thomas J. Dolan of the Chicago Reader. This was the milieu to whom Kuttner approached with his remarkable offer, the overthrow of Taiwan's Kuomintang government. The point here is that he was uh, basically networking, or perhaps uh, past the point, attempting to network with a, a CIA milieu. There, I just used it. Continuing. Kuttner indicated he represented a group willing to illegible a handsome return to anyone investing $20 million, which they required to overthrow the Taiwan government. Fleming, quote, hastily declined, unquote, the offer, though he did engage Kuttner for further information on another of Kuttner's projects in Africa. Though the memo is unfortunately partially illegible, Kuttner's other offer in some way involved the, Ga- the Ghanaian government of Dr. Kofi Abrefa Bushia. Bushia, B-U-S-I-A, I may be mispronouncing that, who would himself be overthrown, had been an official in the military coup government which had overthrown Ghana's socialist leader. One more time. Which, who had, let me reread this lesson. There's a misprint here. Though the, memo, though the memo is unfortunately partially illegible, Kuttner's other offer 
in some way involved the Ghanaian government of Dr. Kofi Abrefa Abrefa Bushia, Bushia, who would himself be overthrown, had been an official in the military coup government which had overthrown Ghana's socialist leader, Kwame Nkrumah. Though in August, Kutner covertly approached a CIA-linked company for regime change cash, by October, he was again the human rights crusader. Kutner once again made the papers, this time as the counsel for Peng Ming Min, the leader of the Taiwan independence movement. Clearly, Louis Kutner had no problems being associated with groups engaged in violence, whether that meant an assassination on the streets of New York or the CIA-sponsored overthrow of the government on the other side of the globe. And again, I think it is worth noting here that the evidence is strong that elements of CIA were involved with attempts at the easing Chiang Kai-shek out the door because he was getting just a little bit too ripe. And now we uh, are being treated with uh, the almost, well, I don't know about almost nonstop, but uh, the uh, frequent propaganda drumbeat about Taiwan being an, an independent, self-governing democracy. Well, it wasn't for decades. Uh, it was under Chiang Kai-shek's boot, quite literally. And again, I suspected that that transition was something one sees when uh, a CIA satrap has uh, become just a little bit too uh, much of an embarrassment, and they ease him out in favor of... Uh, a social democratic government which, as long as it is anti-communist, is okay. Uh, this apparently was not the last involvement of Louise Kuttner in connection with a Chinese-linked CIA operation. And uh, this last section I'm going to read here, still at it, Kuttner invites the CIA to Beijing. On January 31st, 1973 CIA memo documents another astonishing offer. Kuttner claimed a, quote, close, unquote, relationship with U.S. toppled neutralist king of Cambodia, Norodom Sihanouk. Sihanouk was then in exile in the People's Republic of China. Apparently, through the king, Kuttner claimed that he was going to be allowed to open an office of world habeas corpus on the, in the Chinese capital. Apparently, Kuttner was still attempting to realize the scheme he had approached the CIA about in 1968. Kuttner's offer, as stated by the CIA, was simple enough. The Beijing office could be set up for $250,000. If we wished to furnish that sum, Kuttner would open the office for us and allow us to staff it completely with our own people. The CIA officer ends his memo by requesting advice from the chiefs of both Vietnam and China operations as to whether they have any interest in following up on the offer. Unfortunately, the response, if any, isn't available in the public record. So, again, uh, as with the earlier attempt by Kuttner to openly network with CIA, there is no evidence on the public record that he was successful. That does not mean that... Uh, the offer did not uh, perhaps involve some other type of activity. Again, uh, CIA covert operations are not conducted 
in the open. And uh, it is worth noting again as we uh, hear the war drums constantly being uh, banged, not only with regard to Ukraine uh, and Russia, but also with regard to Taiwan and China. In connection, as we re- uh, spoke about in our last program, in connection with the uh, quote, pro-democracy, unquote, movement in Hong Kong, which, by the way, has had elements of the sector and the Azov Battalion involved with it. Uh, there was actual uh, networking between Jimmy Lai, one of the far-right figures involved with the pro-democracy movement, and the, uh, uh, quote, in- Taiwan independence, unquote, movement. Uh, from the article by Dan Cohen for the Grey Zone, I didn't say, you know, uh, Taiwan independence movement is independent now. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say it's independent, but it claims it's independence. I don't think uh, there will be military action by China against Taiwan unless Taiwan agrees to have U.S. offensive missiles stationed in it pointed at China. Then there will be World War III. Uh, whether or not Taiwan eventually peacefully unifies with China, I've got my doubts. Uh, I think politically and historically, the Chinese claim is just is a just one. Practically speaking, I don't think it is doable. Uh, we will see what happens. Uh, but again, from the Gray Zone by Dan Cohen, this featured in Consortium News of August 19th of 2019, U.S. backs xenophobia and mob violence in Hong Kong while dumping money into the Hong Kong's pro-U.S. political camp in 2013, Jimmy Lai traveled to Taiwan for a secret roundtable consultation with Xi Jinping, a key figure in Taiwan's social movement that forced then-President Chen Shui-bian to resign in 2008. Xi reportedly instructed Lai on nonviolent tactics to bring the government to heel, emphasizing the importance of a commitment to go to jail. According to journalist Peter Lee, quote, she supposedly gave Lai advice on putting students, young girls, and mothers with children in the vanguard of the street protests in order to attract the support of the international community and press and to sustain the movement with, co- with continual activities to keep it dynamic and fresh, unquote. Lai reportedly turned off his recording device during multiple sections of Xi's tutorial. One protester explained to the New York Times how the movement attempted to embrace a strategy called marginal violence theory, unquote, by using, quote, mild force, unquote, to provoke security services into attacking the protesters. The protesters aimed to shift international sympathy away from the state. But some that violence wasn't all that marginal, throwing Molotov cocktails uh, into subway stations uh, and at riot police, derailing subway trains, setting passers-by on fire, and some of the graffiti, although Americans could not read them, uh, referred to the Chinese as Shima, S-H-I-M-A. That is a really nasty ethnic slur. It was coined uh, by the Japanese during the Sino-Japanese War, which ultimately morphed into part of World War II, and it has a really vile connotation. And uh, it is something that we, we don't hear about uh, in the mainstream American 
press. Uh, also, uh, pivoting back now to Louise Cutman, a number of the things he was involved in, and this is uh, discussed in his Wikipedia entry, he was also involved with uh, the FBI's and Chicago police's attempts at uh, neutralizing Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton was a member of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. His Slaying and the FBI participation in the uh, COINTELPRO uh, action against Fred Hampton is well known. We covered that in, among other programs, AFA program number 23 that is available on the SpitfireList.com website. It also, by the way, is on the 32-gigabyte flash drive. Again, I... Uh, thought I would uh, access this information about Louise Kuttner because he really is uh, something of a microcosm for what is going on. Although ostensibly a Cold War liberal, he's networking with ABN, with Yaroslav Spetsko, with the Information Council of the Americas, uh, and a whole bunch of really nasty elements. I would note, too, uh, in the article here, by David Giulio. He talks about other things that Amnesty International has been involved in, and the link will be in the description for the program. Uh, Amnesty International, by the way, was involved with uh, CIA attempts at uh, giving a, a more happy face to the Pinochet regime in Chile. They also supported the naked propaganda that uh, led to the first Gulf War about Saddam Hussein's troops uh, taking Kuwaiti babies off of incubators uh, and uh, thereby killing them. That simply was not true, but Amnesty International helped to publicize that as well. They've been involved in a number of uh, activities which are not all that wonderful. Louise Kuttner, sadly, is indicative of uh, the darker side of Amnesty International. It does, it has uh, at times uh, appeared to be networking with elements of both uh, U.S. and British intelligence. In our next program, we will come back to, uh, uh, well, I, I guess one could say, uh, in, in, in as much as elements of the hashtag MeToo movement, uh, could be called progressive, then we're going to talk about that. It, certainly the hashtag MeToo phenomenon is broader than some of the elements that we have looked at in connection with, for example, the shocking, uh, political defenestration of Al Franken as a U.S. senator, something that was telegraphed, by the way, by none other than Roger Stone, now under investigation in connection with the January 6th uh, incident as well. And uh, then the def political defenestration of John Conyers, uh, one of the few critics of the Azov Battalion in U.S. Congress. Uh, that, by the way, was uh, elevated, was affected in part through machinations by Mike Cernovich, another, quote, alt-right, unquote, individual who might be termed uh, a professional misogynist. We've talked about that in the past. However, we'll talk about Peng Shui and the Peng Shui Op in our next program or two, because this concludes for the record program number 1227, Microcosm Part 2, being recorded on February 16th of the year 2022. I'm Dave Emery. Have fun. <laughs>